Hey, what's up, everybody? I am Matt with Simplified. Welcome to the Simplified Podcast, where we talk all things restaurant, brand growth, breaking down complex trends, simplifying them in the restaurant industry. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Troy Hooper. Troy is the CEO of Hot Palette, which is a parent company of multiple restaurant brands, but most notably is Pepper Lunch. It's their flagship brand with over 500 locations in 15 countries. Troy was recently brought on as the CEO to help them with this explosive growth that they are experiencing. So welcome, Troy. What's up? Hey, great to be here. I love to simplify <laughs> things. So looking forward to this chat. Nice. That's what, uh, that's what we're all about. Trying, trying to make complex things simple. And your world, I imagine, is um, extremely complex. Is that, is that fair to say? <laughs> yeah, it can be. A lot of moving parts, right? A lot of, lot of plates spinning in the air. Yeah. Well, just give us the, uh, for those of us who aren't familiar with uh, Pepper Lunch, because you, you're in 15 countries on the world and mostly on the, on the West Coast and kind of Southwest, is that correct? Help, help, tell us about Pepper Lunch for those of us who um, are unfamiliar. Yeah, so Pepper Lunch is a Japanese-born, authentic Japanese DIY teppanyaki. And what does that mean? We have a 500-degree iron plate that we put all of your ingredients on, bring to the table, and you sizzle it your way. You get to add sauces and spices to your dish and cook it to your liking right there on a plate in front of you um, and what we like to say is you can get in and out in 20 minutes for $20 so it's an experiential fast casual version of dining that is often a longer form more expensive uh, experiential uh, dining concept we've taken that and made it a true fast casual um, we're in 15 countries as you said mostly in Asia but we are in western countries like Australia uh, Canada, and of course here in the U.S. We currently have five locations in the continental U.S. and one in Guam with a second one opening, um, and Guam's U.S. territory. But we're in uh, Southern California with three stores, Las Vegas with one store, and Houston with one store, with significant growth right in front of us. We have a lot of deals on the table, and we're excited about expanding across the United States and Canada over the next few years. That is exciting. And I will say as somebody who recently had pepper lunch for the first time, I had the chance to, to try it. Um, I've never experienced a restaurant like pepper lunch. <laughs> I think that's fair to say. Um, yeah, there's nothing but, like it. I, and we look and we try. There's just really nothing like it, which is awesome. And more importantly, it's authentic. It, it is actually a dish and a, and a way of eating that occurs in the Japanese home. So that's what I love about it is that it's not a gimmick and it's not a made up experience. It's something that you could actually experience if you went to Japan and were invited into somebody's home. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and for people who maybe can't, can't picture it, it's a, it, it literally is an experience where the hot plate comes out. You, you can't touch it. <laughs> There's a little paper around it that says hot plate and it cooks right in front of you and you, you stir it up, you add your own sauces and, uh, and it, it's happening almost like the hibachi cook that we're familiar with that, but it's happening on your plate and you're, you're involved with it. You're a part of it. Is that, is that the best way yeah. to describe it? Yeah. And, and you know, I gotta say <clears throat> every time I'm in a store, it's still remarkable. Two things are very remarkably one, how many people have their phones out and are video or taking photos of each other. It's just so Instagram worthy as people yeah. say. And then, um, how almost never do I see a grain of rice left on a plate? Everybody eats all of the food. It's so delectable and uh, and crave-worthy and delicious. So um, those are two things that stand out. And, and still, as a restaurateur for 31 years, it's still surprising, you know, to see how excited people are for the dish 
and, and into it that they get, right, to do it their way and see how other people and share and, and taste everybody's meals, but also, um, you know, how they basically are compelled to finish the dish. It's so good. I, I definitely finished all of mine. <laughs> and yeah, it was great. Um, I, I went to the one in, in Irvine and, uh, yeah, had a great time, enjoyed it. So, so thank you. And again, it was the most personal experiential thing I, I've seen at a restaurant. So, so you were brought on, help me understand about oh, one year ago. How long have you been? Yeah. CEO so they proposed? engaged with us. Um, you know, hot palette reached out to my company, Kiwi Restaurant Partners, uh, exactly a year ago, as a matter of fact, uh, this month. And uh, we began having some conversations. We moved very quickly to realizing that we were the solution they were looking for in trying to find a U.S.-based partner to grow their business. They had been here for over five years and were really trying to figure out the right way to establish this brand and grow it in the United States. And that's what my company does is Kiwi Restaurant Partners is a brand scaling consulting firm. We provide outsourced C-suite uh, executives to lead the growth of uh, small and emerging brands. Now, not a small brand with over 500 locations. When we got involved, they were in the high 480s. Um, they've been growing about five stores a month in Asia. Um, but basically, we're a 500-unit startup because the parent company purchased the brand about three years ago. And they've spent okay. the last two or so years restructuring, getting organized, really establishing themselves to understand what the brand's potential was. And so by finding us as a partner, um, they really found a way to fast track uh, growth of the brand to really establish the brand in the highest quality way um, and establish all the systems that are necessary to grow the brand, uh, in, you know, done so it, with great integrity and uh, and proper care for the brand's legacy because it is a 30-year-old brand this coming year. So um, there is a lot of history. It is ubiquitously known throughout Asia, uh, even mm -hmm. in the United States. Many, many uh, Asian-born uh, or Asian uh, first or second generation folks here in the United States uh, know the brand. They're familiar with the brand. They've experienced the brand. And, and truly, a lot of military and uh, traveling young people, college-age people that have studied abroad or spent time at Hong Kong University or in Taiwan also are very familiar with the brand. So um, there actually is a lot of awareness about the brand. And so it was just a matter of how do we honor the brand's legacy but also modernize it and make it more accessible to the U.S. market. Is there, and I'm not as familiar with brand, like an Asian brand that's come in the U.S. and trying to expand in the U.S. Is there um, someone else in that space that has done this successfully that is a, a model for this? Or Yeah, in a way, uh, sort of. Um, there, a lot of the Asian brands that you might be familiar with in the United States are actually U.S. born or North American born. Um, they're not actually uh, created or proofed in Asia, but we're seeing more and more start to come over this way. Uh, Paris Baguette is one that a lot of people might be familiar with. That's a Korean-born brand, um, although not theoretically not exactly a Korean concept. It's sort of made in Korea but made for yeah. the Western market or, or to bring uh, westernized okay. sort of European food to the Asian market. And so they're trying to grow here. Uh, Yoshinoya is the largest Asian export brand in the world. Uh, they have over 1,200 locations globally, almost all in Asia, but they do have 110 here in California. Um, they have one master franchisee. And so Yoshinoya is a, um, a bowl concept, a beef bowl concept, a sukiyaki-style beef bowl concept, uh, low, low cost, usually in, in sort of uh, economically challenged or, or lower um, affluent working class communities typically. Um, it's a very affordable uh, beef bowl or and, and other rice bowl dish uh, concept. 
Uh, but it hasn't grown outside of California, and we're not really sure why, but it's a different concept altogether, and um, it's very large in Asia. I mean, it's sort of on every street corner, um, kind of like Got a McDonald's it. in a way. <laughs> yeah. Um, what? So, so you're saying you guys are looking to open five restaurants a month, five locations well, we a are. month? We are opening five restaurants a month in Asia. Five okay. restaurants a month in Asia. That's our current growth. So yeah. I tell people we have wow. 508. Um, I just got a newsletter, which I'm about to open this morning, which will tell me here's the five we opened in September. Uh, so I, every month I've got to go 508, 513, right? Um, I got to add that five, 518 uh, each month. But in the United States, um, our growth plan is um, is over the next three years to add 255 stores sold or in the pipeline or committed, financially committed by our franchise partners. We expect we'll open between 15 and 20 next year and get to a between 40 and 50 unit a year growth trajectory. And that's really sort of at the high end of normal. You know, when you start looking at a lot of other brands that are in high growth mode to be able to grow, you know, around four to five stores a month ultimately, but we're probably a couple of years away from hitting that pace. So you are, you are consistently, it sounds like you're courting franchisees. You are looking for franchisees to help with this explosive growth. Um, cause that's a lot over the next two years to have 250 in the pipeline in three years. What are you, what, what's like your ideal franchise partner? What are you looking for when you're out and you're, you're looking for franchisees? Yeah, look, it's a, it's a very aggressive, um, plan. Um, especially for a, non-native brand that has a small footprint in the United States. Now, that proof of concept has been very powerful for us. But um, yes, when I talk to my contemporaries in the industry, um, they kind of shake their head like, no way, not going to happen. Um, that's fuel for me. I'm excited about that. Uh, our ideal franchisee, though, and, and this is how we're going to meet this uh, goal trajectory, is, is you need to be an existing multi-unit franchisee of at least one brand or more. Um, and have the infrastructure and the resources, both in human capital experience and on staff, but also the financial resources to be able to grow. Our concept is actually very, very simple to execute. It's also very simple to build. It's very equipment light, and the equipment is mostly proprietary equipment that we provide. And so we're able to assure that you're going to get these stores open very quickly. So the minimum commitment is a five-store commitment over a three-year build. Most folks that do it this way with five-store commitments, they give you five years or a year per store. For us, we're giving you a year for the first store and then looking for you to open two stores a year in the succeeding three years to get a minimum of five stores. The reality is most of the partners we have at the table today that are going to be making commitments here in the short term are really in the 10 to 20 unit commitment level. Um, and so they're going to probably open numbers like that over a five to seven year period. But basically, we're looking for a two to three store a year opening for a group. And so it takes a certain type of group to be able to manage that level of execution. Um, but we've been doing this for 30 years. We have over 500 stores. We open five a month. We have a phenomenal resource uh, kit of not only assets and systems, but we have a, a robust group of people around the world. And we are actually bringing quite a number of people from our stores in Hong Kong and Singapore and Japan to the United States to build up our experience-based, you know, our knowledge-based team that have been doing this for a very long time. So when it comes to new store opening and onboarding and certainly the training and then the operational support system, 
we're going to have all the people and tools that the that are necessary to support our franchisees to be able to grow like that. Yeah, so that infrastructure already exists. That correct of a, of a 500 unit brand <laughs> for this to to grow in the U.S. You're you're start, like you said, you're a a, a startup that has already has all this the, the growing pains and the systems in place that that you wouldn't normally right. have, right? Exactly. Speaking of speaking of, I guess systems and sort of having that in place because. And I'm sure that you you will continue to learn this as you go in the states. Um, what do you see as, as somebody who has scaled brands, as somebody who has been in franchise infrastructure management and and seen brands grow? What do you see as like the biggest pain point? What is it? What is the thing that you're always just like, oh, this is the thing. When you solve this, that's that's when yeah. just things start rolling. What is it? Believe it or not, it's usually step one, which is real estate. You know, um, picking the right location. And then having the right space available in that quadrant of a location, whatever that radius is that you believe is the right location for each store, um, you know, that takes the longest, um, you know, just because you find the best location on the corner of Main and A Street, um, there may not be anything available. If it's available, it certainly may be out of the price point that makes sense for the business model. Um, and so then you start to move out throughout that radius. And so you may want to be there, but there may not be anything available. And then if there is several things available, is it in the price point the business model can support? And if it is, um, then you go through the process of negotiating with the landlord. And so this, this is a very timely, um, pretty stressful process for most people, yeah. even if you're experienced. Look, I actually have a partnership in a commercial real estate business as well. I'm a licensed agent, but I don't do transactions, but I do it so that I can help our partners in this process because it is very, very tedious and mm. um, and every deal is totally different. And so that is one of the biggest pain points. Once you get over that hump, certainly construction is actually not only the next step in the phase, but also the next high variable, most costly, most stressful, time-consuming uh, aspect. So once you get proper real estate secured and you get construction well underway and in hand getting through that you know the onboarding pre-training new store opening training post store opening support is super easy that's the replicable thing that we do really really well but it's those variables that you have a lot less control over early on that really tend to uh, dictate what your pace of growth can be yeah that makes sense and it's crazy that you say it's step one <laughs> is the, yeah, the, the biggest pain point there. The first hump is the biggest hump. <laughs> yeah. It makes sense that then, then it's all, I mean, it's still problem solving all throughout, but getting, yeah. getting that in place is, is the biggest hurdle. But again, that comes back to experience, right? At the end of the day, what really matters, and this is why we're such a good fit in this partnership is that we have helped many brands grow over mm -hmm. many years and um, the executives and partners at KRP uh, that support this business and this growth have all run 250 plus uh, unit uh, brands from the executive suite. And so having this deep um, black book, so to speak, of resources, vendors and partners we've worked with, we have tried and failed and tried and tried again with many yeah. vendors and partners. So we basically know what works and we also have this um, cohort of support people and vendors and suppliers and contractors. So we can really just pull them up and say, okay, time to go. Uh, here's where we're at. Here's what we're doing. And we can just plug and play them 
uh, because we have the experience. We all know what we're doing. We all know how to work together. So, you know, it is just sort of having that ecosystem pre-built that you can bring to the table and then activate once once the infrastructure is ready. Once once you have franchise partners signed and ready to go, we just turn them on. That's great. Tell me, tell me this. Like, what if what if the uh, systems and the, the training and the systems um, from Japan am I, or Asia yep. in general, what if, uh, yep. what if it doesn't translate? I mean, what if it doesn't carry over into the US? Is that a concern of yours or? That's what we're here for. Uh, so my partner Mark and I and the rest of the team have been working all year on making sure they translate and if they don't, adapting those things that may not. And quite frankly, one of the things that we are uh, working most diligently on is sort of taking the most time to make sure we get right is actually the layout of the kitchen. Um, in Asia, it's it's quite different and a lot smaller, and they have higher output out of smaller spaces. Um, but we here have different um, makeup of consumer uh, dining experiences. So in Asia, where you might be in a food court or a food hall, or even a small format restaurant in a high traffic area, they have a lot more one and two plate orders, where we in the United States have a lot more four to six plate orders. We see more gathering, more uh, larger groups come to the dining table, right? And so the, in Asia, it's okay to put out one or two plates or two, then a third, you know, maybe on delay. Here, you know, the consumer wants to eat together. And so um, we want all four mm. plates. So in Asia, we might have a two or three hot plate or induction unit uh, design system uh, that manages very well, very high volume, up to 600 plates a day in most of our Asian locations. Um, whereas in, in the United States and, and even Canada, uh, we tend to gather and eat together in, in larger groups uh, yeah. more often. And so, you know, solving for that. So as a matter of fact, my partner, Mark, is actually on a flight uh, from Japan to Singapore right now. Uh, and he's going to spend this entire week with both the training team and the uh, and the design architect and construction team uh, walking through the operations of many, many stores. He's going to see at least three to four stores a day and really understand first person because I've been several times. He's going to understand first person the the layout we have. He's brought our blueprint with him and he's going to wow. compare apples to apples across the board. So. Getting that right. So to your point, absolutely, not everything translates. You know, menu doesn't always translate. There are menu items in each of the Asian countries that are different from e each other, right? Um, and there are menu items we have in North America that are not on the menus over there. We have whole steaks, right? New York strip, ribeye. Um, over there, they have sort of cut steaks, Angus cut steaks, cube steaks, things like that. Uh, Hamburger-based uh, steaks and things. Um, we, we have a little bit different um, consumer when it comes to steak or meat product, you know, meat offerings on a menu. And so those differences are allowed for and encouraged. And yeah. as long as it remains authentic, right, as long as we're um, continuing with the same flavor profiles, continuing with the same intent of the brand uh, deliverable, the brand promise to the consumer, we're doing just great. So uh, great question. Some things do, lots, and if not most of the brand translates very, very well, um, but some things don't, and the brand's very willing to allow for those um, modifications, those updates, those modernizations for the specific market. Got it. That makes sense. Uh, now, as a bit of a follow-up, but maybe a bit of a, a, of a diversion, too. Um, so I, I've, I've experienced brands trying to do the other thing, right, which is take a, a U.S. concept and import it overseas or, or build build it overseas and find a new way 
into new markets. Um, and one in a lot of times recipes translated, um, you know, con buildings translated, but the one thing that definitely did not translate was trying to import uh, a culture of, of the business or the restaurant or a feeling of, of trying to take of how you motivate employees, how you create a special environment, how you, how you create culture in a brand and in a restaurant and trying to recreate that in a different, uh, in a different country didn't really work. And I'm curious, like for you as someone who you guys are starting sort of small still in the U S with a very, very large accessible brand, are you, are you building a new culture? Um, what are your thoughts on that as, as the CEO, um, as, as you, as you build this, what, what role does culture play there? Yeah. I mean, so if you, if you look at anything about me and my history and that of my partners as well, uh, we, we actually build businesses in a culture first mindset. Um, it, you know, to build a business from the P and L or build the business from tech and infrastructure, um, really doesn't translate to the human interest. Right. And so we have a history of building culture first and then making the systems work within the culture. And, and so luckily, uh, culture is a huge uh, piece of this brand as is. And to give you an example, um, our current franchisee in the United States, uh, I'd say I think it's over half of his employees have been with him for more than two or three years. He, his very first manager, regional manager now, has been with him since day one, five and a half years uh, oh, in wow. the United States with this brand. And, um, and that translates across the, the globe. Our global operations team in Singapore, um, many of the executives have been with the brand for between 15 and 25 years. Um, three of the top five executives in our operations team in Singapore were the first three managers, store managers of Pepper Lunch outside of Japan. They opened the very first three stores outside of Japan and have been with the company for up to 25 years. And so they're still with us. And so that is more than knowledge-based translation. That is culture creation translation. And there is a pride and an intensity of pride in what they and we now do um, that is being translated by having them be involved, by having them be here in the United States, not only regularly, but several of them will be moving here by the end of the year. So we're gonna start 2024 off with new franchise stores under construction um, across multiple states. And we're gonna have not only the Kiwi support team that we've built, the hot pallet infrastructure team that I'm building, but we're gonna actually have that translation of pride and culture and, and, um, you know, and specificity to the process that has been held so closely for uh, many decades now that um, when with them being here, it, it's just only going to amplify that intensity or, or care of the brand. And I can just tell you that even though the franchisee in the U.S. hasn't had that level of support, he's had a lot of support over the many years, he has translated it very well because he was a Pepper Lunch franchisee for 14 years in Australia already. And so oh, wow. there is this love or this care, this pride in the brand that is really palatable when you go to a store. If you sit there and watch the team, nobody's on their phone. Nobody's standing in the corner chit-chatting. Uh, nobody's got their hands on their hips standing still. Everybody is always doing something because there's always something to do. But they do it in a self-directed sense of pride uh, way. And so that really is just the translation of 
um, this care for this brand that has so much love and, 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 and awareness around the globe that people understand that they need to be good stewards of it. And I just think that a lot of attention has been paid to that. And I am very much uh, concerned and excited to continue to emulate that. And it's just really important that myself and my partner, Mark, and other people on our team not only spend time in Asia, and we spend a lot of time in Asia, but that they also spend time with us here. So there's this constant connection. Um, and, and everything we do in the United States, we we pass through the system in Asia to make sure that we are um, not missing something, not misunderstanding something, not mistranslating something. That's awesome. So you're staying true to really the heritage of this brand. And I love hearing, because okay, in my mind, I mean, the metrics of a good culture are internal development, um, retention, and engagement, all the things that you, you talked about. So, so hearing that that already exists and that you're continuing that along with the infrastructure that you already have in place and that you're building um, the systems, that sounds like a, uh, a winning combination <laughs> in my mind. So I, I, I think we start this conversation by you saying that some of your colleagues maybe scoff at the, uh, at, at the, at your big goals, but, um, yeah, it sounds like you have the, uh, the right pieces in place. So that's exciting. I'm excited to see, I'm excited to see more pepper lunches in uh, Southern California, hopefully, um, for, for my own benefit. And beyond and beyond. <laughs> I'm excited to not only expand our California footprint, but absolutely looking forward to, uh, the at least, three to four states uh, of expansion we expect to announce here in the next four to six, maybe eight weeks. So okay. um, awesome. there's a lot on well, the plate and, and we're going to see a lot more pepper lunches here pretty soon. I look forward to hearing and seeing that happen. So thanks again, Troy, for joining me. I really appreciate it. And um, yeah, congratulations um, on the role and the success there. And we look forward to seeing what happens next. Thanks, Matt. Look, glad to be with you. Thanks so much. Thank you.